Week four is here. It is the last week for a while before the buys begin. It is the last week before preseason IR players are coming back, but it also means that midseason best ball contests are in full steam. So today, along with previewing the games that I'm targeting this week, I'm going to do a bit of a deep dive into midseason best ball, how I'm approaching these tournaments. Let's get to it right now. Welcome back to the DraftKings Football Show, hosted in partnership with our friends at DraftKings. I am Justin Herzig, and today is going to be a fun one when we have the opportunity to talk best ball, even though the season has already begun. You know that I'm going to be enjoying that best ball. Oof, it's been a good season so far, but for today, we are going to focus on some in-season best ball. DraftKings each week has been launching a contest where, hey, no matter what week it is, basically the contests start for that upcoming week. So they did one for week two, week three, week four. Here we go. Then we've got other sites. Resurrection is going live too. So uh, I think this is a perfect time to really dive in and talk through some midseason best raw strategy aspects. And then we'll go into, hey, targeting the week ahead. What games do I like? What games am I targeting? How am I approaching those? We've got a lot of fun stuff. Appreciate everyone for joining in. But uh Let's, let's dive in. So for context on this kind of contest, this has always been one of my favorite highest advance rate contests last year. Advanced 49 out of 150, so 33% advance rate. Um, I think that's what, a bit? A, almost almost double what the expectation is. Um, yeah, I guess if it would have been 50 out of 50, that would have been uh, double the expectation. Uh, and yeah, I think a lot of it comes into finding value in two core areas, and that's the macro positional values and then micro takes. And so we'll talk through um, those two areas and hopefully can kind of help you as you all start diving in to uh, any of those midseason contests across the industry. So starting off for the macro, I think it's important to first let's rewind a little. Let's start with the preseason macro elements for the year that were established. Because depending on when you jumped into off-season best ball, um, you were either in the early groups that were helping to kind of define what these macro elements were, or maybe they already existed by the time you got in and you just kind of started feeling them, realized them, you start paying attention to content, you hear what they are. Um, but the difference is mid-season, those shift, those change, and there's not nearly as much people talking about it, content, um, to figure out what those macro elements are. So first to get an idea so people understand what I'm talking about. So for the preseason, what are those? Well, RBs in the first and second were really strong. And even in the third round, we started getting the high upside, but with high risk guys in the third. And those were the, you know, the Jonathan Taylor holdouts, the Brees Hall um, with potential injury risk, the Josh Jacobs with a holdout too. So like those were those third round. But like that was kind of the macro where you knew like, hey, if you were to leave your draft with one or two from the first two, three rounds, you were setting yourself with up with the high upside running backs. Then after that, it kind of uh, evenly kind of um, petered out from there where it wasn't like there was this crazy RB dead zone because guys that normally would be drafting in the fourth or fifth were actually going in the seventh or eighth. Um, so you kind of adapted there and felt like where the best pockets were. And then I think once you got to like the 10th to 12th is when another great pocket of running backs really uh, showed up. And that's when the... Um, Brian Robinson's, the Charbonnets, the ones where they're 
um, their role was a bit more ambiguous and, uh, or they were the rookies that we were hoping were going to break out later, but we saw some upside in those type plays as well. And so I mentioned Robinson and Charbonnet because two very different ones, Robinson had the more clear role and Hey, has been a great hit early on Charbonnet. We didn't expect him to have a major role early on as he hasn't so far, but the thesis is still there for going for Okay. Wide receivers. I think the big thing here was that wide receivers have been going earlier than ever in drafts, and that led to a bit of a dead zone around round eight. I think it was kind of around that Cortland Sutton area after that, we really felt that dead zone of wide receivers. And that's when a lot of the sharper drafters said, okay, I'm going to, after this point, stop chasing wide receivers. I'm going to get my wide receivers four or five ahead of this point and now start going for the QBs, the running backs and such. From a tight end standpoint, I've been preaching all offseason that there were so many strong tight ends at the end of drafts and that the gap between the early tight ends and late tight ends were just not that large. So drafting three or four late tight ends was a very strong, my primary strategy. And I think that's shown to be, um, from what we've seen so far, I think that's shown to be a pretty decent strategy. I think most notable is that, I mean, the gap between the, and I don't even call elite, but uh, the higher end ones, it's just there's so much uh, volatility at the position. Um, we've seen like, you know, the George Kittle have one good week and two pretty bad weeks. We've seen Kyle Pitts really not put it together. Um, and so I think like, that was the strong strategy then. And then the last one I'll go with, is obviously, QBs. Um, I think for this year, most of the QBs were fairly priced. If you wanted to get the elite, you had to pay up a little, but it didn't feel like you were, um, you know, getting robbed too much. Uh, there was a drop off after the Geno Goff tier and such, but like nothing uh, crazy. Pretty much QBs just kind of felt fairly fair value and you would stack. Um, and then all those things that we talked about with the best ball pyramid. If you're not familiar with what that is, give a quick Google search um, of on the clock best ball with my name, Justin Herzig, and you'll find that article. But like all those elements still played. Now we're mid season. The key is understanding what is this new macro, because obviously things aren't going to stay the exact same. The tight ends, those young tight ends that we liked, they're not available at the end of drafts anymore. So how do we adapt to that? Running backs are more scarce. So let's go position by position and we can actually kind of think through my takes on where the macro aspects have changed and how I'm kind of drafting and approaching these rounds right uh, these drafts right now. So for the RB position, I think the most clear thing is that RBs are more scarce right now than the preseason because of two things. One is injuries. We've known this. Um, a couple guys are starting to come back, but like we've had some bad injuries to a lot of the uh, you know higher tier guys, and that's led to more scarcity at the position. And why I think like CMC is actually probably the number one overall. Um, but that's you know it, the scarcity aspect. The second is that there's now a more narrow range of outcomes as we have more knowledge that the guys like Rashad Penny isn't the starter. A.J. Dillon doesn't have upside with Aaron Jones down. Some teams like the Bears are just bad. So preseason, we didn't have as much information. We had a wider range of outcomes going for those dart throws on some of the figuring out which Chicago running back it's going to be or grabbing those, you know, hey, handcuffs that also have kind of game by, you know, weekly, weekly upside, like an AJ Dillon made a lot of sense. The more information we have around those plays, the more kind of that range of outcomes narrows. And some of those don't look nearly as attractive. So that means that in my mind, the running backs early on that we know where the upside is, we know where the projectable volume is. 
those now also become a little more valuable. And you'll see running backs are, are, are getting drafted a little earlier because you don't have as many of the uh, later upside plays, I would say. Wide receivers. Um, I think wide receivers are just being either overdrafted or underdrafted, but it's mostly based off small sample results. And I think it's important. We don't want to completely, we don't want to disregard our preseason takes. We do need to account for what we've learned so far, but I think what's most important is focusing on from these three games, what is most predictive and how can we see through the noise? So an example is like, you know, most basic levels, maybe we don't want to overweight touchdowns. Overweighting fantasy points isn't the most predictive stat. Probably don't want to overweight targets in games where the snap counts have been quite high. If this is a team, um, let's use the Rams as an example, where the Rams for their first two games ran insane amounts of snaps. I think they were first overall in the league. If not first, they were top two or three. And last year, they were one of the slowest. So we expect that to regress. In week three against Cincinnati, we did see that regress substantially. And so now, while I think week three is on the other end of the spectrum, I'm expecting somewhere kind of in that lower half of overall overall pace. Um, and so how do we adjust for that when we think about players like Puka, like Tutu, like Cooper Cup, like KB and such? And um, let's see. Also, not dinging someone because maybe because of a short-term injury. We're seeing that with some of the wide receivers. And I'll actually go through after this and identify where some of these values are. But I think this macro is still first very helpful. Um, and so as you create your own rankings or as you are drafting and you think of, hey, these players as you're comparing wide receivers across wide receivers, think through those elements. And we want to make sure like we are not overreacting to the wrong things and we are not discounting or we're not ignoring kind of some of the factors that I'd say are the more projectable statistics. Okay. Tight ends. Um, this one's a little tricky for me as I've been doing these drafts, drafts because I think the macro philosophy of the gap between the early tight ends and the later ones just isn't that much that it makes more sense to like, um, Let's see what an example would be in the sixth or seventh round. You would be drafting Mike Evans or Kittle or Kyle Pitts or something. And uh, even in the game when Kittle had a really good game, the gap between him and some of the other later tight ends that you could get at the very end is not that great. But the Mike Evans, who that looks like a fantastic hit right now, when a wide receiver goes off on DraftKings, those could be 30, 40 point games that is extremely more valuable to your team. And so like that macro of the gap just isn't that great still exists. But the challenge with the waiting on late tight end now is those young guys that we liked that we were getting late, we were getting the Musgraves, the Jake Ferguson's, the Hunter Henry's, those have moved up the boards because um, I think A, mostly they've gotten off to a pretty decent start from a usage and a role on their teams. Um, and, and also, as younger guys, like we're getting rid of the first three weeks of the season, you know, hey, as we've, it makes more sense that these guys are going to start kind of um, shining and developing and we're don't have to pay the price of those first introductory weeks. So the key is like, in my mind, I still want to take a mostly late tight end strategy or grab one of the two, you know, elites. I always said, I still do like kind of the, at the very, very top elites because I do think there is some differentiation there, but it's those middle ones. And so I want to wait, but we need to be strategic about where there's value. 
And uh, there's a few that we can mention, but I think like that's one where you probably it's probably worth seeing how these drafts go, seeing how the momentum goes, and diving in yourself um, or taking a look at some of the rankings that we're providing. Okay. And last one, QBs. Oh gosh, QBs. This is the most odd one if you're drafting because so many of them just do not make sense. We'll dive into these more as I jump in, but uh, because it's overall QBs are being overdrafted, like sometimes by 20, 30, 40 picks. But then also there's a couple of them that are like, huh, these actually seem like values. I don't understand what's happening. Great transition. Let's dive into the actual. And this is the second part, the micro takes aspect. Um, if you're looking at, so if you're looking for overall rankings, um, each week we're putting out e- ranks at ETR for best ball. These are customized for half PPR, but they're still mo- mostly applicable if you want to use them as a baseline for DraftKings. Um, just go, and I think I'll be, They t- first they take the ETR top 150. And then from there, we start making adjustments for whether it's bye weeks um, for the specific tournament, whether it is, um, for example, the resurrection starts week six. So you have four teams already had their bye, taking into account injuries, taking into account um, just when that tournament starts. The ETR 150, though, was a really good starting point, I think, for the top of the draft. If you're just looking for like, hey, how do I get that feel? Um, but from a micro takes element, I'm going to talk through like some of these QBs. So for the QBs, I mean, Jared Goff is DK ADP is 66. Brock Purdy is 75. Jordan Love is 74. These are literally 70 to 80 picks earlier than we were drafting before the season started. And what has really changed among those? Um, I mean, Jared Goff, literally nothing. Brock Purdy, I guess we've got a little increased confidence that like, you know, Last year wasn't just small sample size. Like he's already had some strong games. So maybe I'll give Brock Purdy a little bump and such. Jordan Love, I mean, I guess you can like, again, more confidence. But if you actually look at like the underlying metrics, the efficiency that he had is probably unsustainable. But even if you believe that like, hey, those guys should have gotten legit bumps, which I'm fine with, going from picks, I don't know, where were they being drafted in the 160s? Jared Goff was earlier. Jared Goff was in the 130s. Brock Purdy and Jordan Love were like the 150s, 160s. And now they're going in the fifth and sixth, like sixth rounds. That is insane. It doesn't make any sense at all. Um, I have them currently ranked in like the 150s. I think that where it makes sense. Um, just, I don't want to be overpaying for those. So like, that's where each draft you enter, someone's going to be overspending for those. And that's where you're getting value. Just not making dumb mistakes like that is a big one. Then... I think we actually do have some values. Like here's one. Lamar Jackson's ADP is 41. You're telling Lamar Jackson is only getting drafted two rounds before Jared Goff, three rounds before Brock Purdy and Jordan Love. Oh, come on. That is insane. And uh, Daniel Jones, he's going 120. So he's going four or five rounds after those guys. I currently have Lamar Jackson at a rank of 24. So that uh, two, three turn, end of the second round, beginning of the third round. And there you're getting a round of value from where his ADP is 40. So you can probably still get him in that like third, maybe even early fourth. Um, and then Daniel Jones have a rank of 101 versus ADP of 120. So you're getting about a round and a half of value there uh, for those two players. Like I think Lamar, we've started to see that Monken offense actually show. We've seen Lamar use a little more on the ground and being willing to kind of run. Um, and so I have confidence that like Lamar is, 
end of season is still going to finish near those kind of top three, top four QBs. Uh, and I want to keep drafting him as such. Daniel Jones, if you look at the schedule uh, and those games, you know, two of those three games that he had to play that he's done really rough, like very, very difficult opponents to start the season. Um, I'm expecting, yes, some difficulties behind that offensive line that we've seen this struggle, but I also think like we're still there's still optimism that this Giants team with Brian Dayball will be able to figure this out. And uh, we've seen that their upside, I mean, one of the three weeks that Daniel Jones, I think he was a top two, three scoring QB on the week. Um, so I think there's still value there. From the running backs, um, as I mentioned, like the running back position is mostly categories by like projecting volume from those first three weeks. Um, if you like, there's some overreactions here in my mind, you have Raheem Mostert, you have Tyron Williams, you have DeAndre Swift, all as third rounders. Um, yes, like their roles have been fantastic, but in my mind, that is far more projecting volume based off what we've seen in the past and not accounting for all these other factors for Mostert, maybe the increased role of Devin A. Chain, obviously not them putting up 70 points each week. Maybe even Jeff Wilson plays a little more. He is still a 31-year-old running back um, for the Kyron Williams one. Even the coaches acknowledge like the volume that they have been giving him just is not sustainable. So I'm and he's not even shown to be an elite talent. There's even been like, I don't know, like he may not even be an above average talent. Going in the third round is insane. This feels like if there was a dead zone in the past, like this feels like the uh, I don't know, even deader than dead zone. Uh, and then DeAndre Swift, yes, we saw the excitement. We've seen what he can do. But even last game with Kenneth Gainwell healthy, it seems like Kenneth Gainwell played second and fourth quarter, Swift the first and the third. I think Swift probably would need 80% of the volume. Eh, that's probably a little high. Maybe maybe 70% of the volume in this role um, to really make up for that value as a third rounder, because the I mean, I don't know, major thing as well is he's still not going to be getting that many touchdowns because of the Jalen Hurts touch push and the way that offense runs. So for me, I like to grab a running back in the first round. Um, and I think because due to that scarcity, the elite guys really still are elite. There's kind of four that I would put up in that tier of McCaffrey, Pollard, Bijan, and Eckler. Uh, but then I'm mostly kind of waiting and finding value. If you compare DK ranks to where we have in the ETR, um, the three screaming values are Justice Hill, Matt Breda, and Kendra Miller. So Justice Hill, DK ADP of 189. We have him ranked 114. Uh, ETR team still feels pretty strong when the Justice Hill is kind of the 1A in that offense from a running back perspective. And this is, in my mind, just an overreaction to he got hurt, he didn't play, and people have just kind of forgotten about him. Uh, next one, Matt Breda. ADP of 189, and we have him ranked 140. Um, I think the big thing from a handcuff perspective is when Saquon Barkley got hurt, Matt Breda took about 80% of the Saquon Barkley role. Obviously, doesn't have the talent, but I mean, in a game that was a difficult game, they were still using him. They're still using him in a way that like, we can have confidence that if Barkley's, hey, this high ankle injury goes on a little longer, it gets re-injured, um, some other kind of Saquon injury, Matt Breda seems to be a pretty solid handcuff. And when you're comparing to other running backs around that area, some of them, we don't know if they're actually going to get that role as the handcuffs. That's why I think like we still have them in that top 150. Um, and that brings about like, hey, five, four or five rounds of value. And then Kendra Miller, um, another one where I think it's just, you know, the injury has led to people overreacting. Um, Kendra Miller 
was going around this same spot. He's 174. He's going around that same spot preseason. And now we've gotten rid of the first three games where his injury was. He's a rookie. He's, you know, coming on stronger. We've got Jamal Williams on the IR. It seems like things are actually in the positive aspect for Kendrick Miller. Don't understand why he's going so low. We have that 134. That's around 40 picks of value. So this is where I'm saying I'd like, hey, early on, grabbing one of those elite guys, maybe maybe assuring like hey, a second or third as the you find some value in those middle rounds. But I do think in the very end of drafts, there's right now some RBs that we do still very much like. On the wide receiver side, um, this is where when I talked about earlier that I think it's just a bit of overreaction to um, those first three weeks. Like one example here is Jonathan Mingo. His ADP is 211. Yes, he hasn't done that much, but like he's a rookie. He suffered a little bit of an injury in these first couple of weeks. And like we didn't expect him to come out the gates extremely strong as a rookie. And so someone who was going like 150 about, 140s, 150, has dropped to 211, basically not being drafted. Um, don't understand that. We're getting a, if anything, we, hey, don't have to pay for those early three rounds for the rookie to develop. We expect his opportunity to continue to increase. Um, the fact that Thielen has been the target monster, the old Thielen, like if anything, that's almost more promising for Jonathan Mingo that none of the Terrace Marshalls or the DJ Chark are the ones who have really increased that role. So I'm still buying Jonathan Mingo. We haven't ranked 137 and uh, versus ADP of 211. That's just insane. Next one, another one, Zay Jones. Week one, Zay Jones comes out playing in two wide receiver sets. Things look fantastic for him. And then he suffers an injury. And so he misses the last couple games. And I guess people just completely forgot about him because the ADP dropped on DK to 164. We haven't ranked 103. This is a guy who was going around 110 in the preseason. And then we are get confirmation that like he is running in two wide receiver sets. He's looking pretty good on this pass-heavy offense. And because of an injury that's, you know, maybe he misses week four, but expecting him to be back, like no reason he should be dropping to 163. Traylon Burks, I think similar situation. Um, eh. Traylon Burks didn't have an injury himself. DeAndre Hopkins has. Traylon Burks is, um, for me, this is purely a talent thing. His ADP is 158. We haven't ranked 104. Um, Tennessee has struggled. Obviously, that offensive line is tough, but I think hey, Traylon's target percentage has increased every game. You can still expect that sophomore jump. I'm not the most bullish on Traylon because of the larger macro aspects of that offense. But 158 is just way too cheap for him. Um, and then another one from an injury perspective, Deontay Johnson. So this is one where, hey, you have to put a feel for you of how much are you willing to kind of eat his zeros in the early weeks. But his ADP right now is 144. He was going around like in around 60 in the preseason. Uh, he should be back by week six, which means missing two more weeks. So in my mind, maybe you should be dinging him and drafting him. Hey, if he was 60s preseason, maybe you should go around the 90s or 100 right now, not 144. That's way too much value. And the last one on the tight end position. This is where I was saying it's a bit wonky. Um, I don't have like any screaming values when I look at the tight ends. Everything looks fairly flat. So my, I don't, I'm not going to just like, May, I don't know. I, I don't have, I'm not going to just make up a kind of lean towards a strategy. I don't feel that strongly with. So what I've been doing with drafts is still mostly going for a late tight end strategy, but really focusing on the stacking. Um, majority of these tournaments, like, hey, you still have that larger field in week 17. So stacking is still very important. Um, if I had to throw a couple out there that are really late guys that um, are still like flyers, like 
Irv Smith, um, he's basically not being drafted. His ADP is 224. Um, I don't have him as too much more value than that, but like if I need a late guy, you can definitely make an argument that like, hey, the entire Cincinnati offense has been so bad, so we haven't been able to see the role of Irv Smith. There's been a couple injury issues there. Um, so I don't hate that one. Similarly, Greg Dulcich has suffered from the injury bug. His ADP is 219. Maybe that should be higher. Um, but yeah, I think that's it. Um, this is, uh, I think overall, like the ones that are being overdrafted, you're still seeing like Dallas Goddard is going in the fifth round. That's too high for me. Uh, Hawkinson's ADP. Okay. Hawkinson's ADP is insane. He moved up to 14, basically early second round. Um, I like Hawkinson, but that's, that's a bit crazy for me. Um, Kyle Pitts has actually started becoming a bit more reasonable, but still 85. So and there's guys, some guys early to avoid in tight end, but I don't have any screaming values there. Okay. I think that wraps up most of my thoughts on kind of the mid-season uh, best ball such. If you enjoy this, if you have questions, feel free to reach out on Twitter. These tournaments are going to continue to run each week um, from a tournament strategy aspects. If you enter as soon as it opens, the ADP is really kind of messed up. I think they're actually using ADP from before the season started, not even the previous week. So if you do jump in immediately, um, A, make sure you are drafting because if you time out, uh, you're probably going to get someone like a Mike Williams or uh, someone who uh, might, you know, Nick Chubb. Um, so be careful there, but also have um, either last week's ranks available or who your kind of targets are because you'll see there's some nice value to be had. Then after about, I don't know if it's a full day, but pretty quickly after the ADP starts uh, correcting for itself. Okay, let's jump into the games that I'm targeting going forward for this week. Um, three games that I'm going to discuss. First one, highest point total, Buffalo at Miami, 53 and a half points. Buffalo's three-point favorites. I'm going to be on uh, monitoring where ownership comes in on this one because obviously anything to do with Miami and then also that, um, you know, just very, even though we haven't seen it, but just strong potential for shootout with Buffalo side of things as well. Um I'd be, uh, hey, I think on the Miami side, I think it really makes sense to be on the passing game for this one with Tyreek and Waddle. If Waddle's healthy, Durham Smythe, we can keep an eye on, but uh, he seemed to have gotten a hamstring last week. If he's healthy, he might be a sneaky play as people have kind of gotten off that bandwagon thinking that um, his usage wasn't real the first two weeks. When I think week three, the truth is that um, he suffered a little bit of injury combined with how much they were up. It didn't make sense to keep him playing. That's why he only had that one reception. Um, I'm not going to be as much on the rushing game this week um, for Miami. Buffalo is a bit more of a difficult matchup there, and I think it makes sense for if this is going to turn into a shootout, it's going to happen in the air. On the Buffalo side, uh, Stephon Diggs and Zach Moss are both getting the best projectable volume there. Davis is turning a little, Gabe Davis is turning a little more into kind of needs to connect on that deep ball. TD in that current role as they spread the ball amongst two tight end sets. Um and so, I mean, yeah, I'm happy to play either Diggs or Moss. I think the way that I want to play this is like, hey, Tyreek and Diggs are both going to be the most high-owned. I like Moss as a bring back to two of double stacks, assuming Waddle is healthy. Um, you still need to find some, you know, or you go Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, Tyreek, and you need to find them low-owned, cheaper pieces to pair with. Uh, but again, I think it's very important. Let's see what ownership looks like on this game as the week matures, because, the game that's really getting the ownership right now is Las Vegas. 
and the Chargers. Uh, this is looking like the chalk game. Devontae and Keenan are currently the two highest owned wide receiver uh, or projected to be have the two highest ownership. This just clearly from their expected volume. We saw how many targets Devontae got last week. Keenan, now without Mike Williams, we'll expect him to kind of get that as well. It makes complete sense. But then even Josh Palmer is projected to be the third highest. And Jacoby is also top 10. Um, my thought is no one is going to be playing the running backs in this game. Kelly's looked atrocious, not expecting Eckler back. And Josh Jacobs, though, is likely my favorite one-off play, getting a leverage um, off of Devontae Adams and Jacoby Myers. And Josh Jacobs' usage looks great, just hasn't been able to break any runs, hasn't been able to get in the end zone. But I think that's where um, probably, a you know, that's the, that's the play that I would want from this game, assuming it's going to be as chalky as expected. And then the one game that I really like this week is the Rams versus the Colts. Uh, the Colts continue to rank first in, in situation neutral pass rate. They lead the league in snaps per 60 minutes. And the Rams were actually, I talked about this earlier, but extremely fast for those first two games. Had that slow last week for Cincy, but I still think it's a decent chance that this is kind of the fastest game of the day between the two teams. Um, and both teams have relatively concentrated usage. On the ground, Kyron and Moss both have elite usage and can be great bringbacks on the opposite sides of stacks. Um, on the Colts side, Anthony Richardson to Pittman feels great. Kylan Granson's a little sneaky, but I could see you working that in as well. Uh, there is a chance that they use a little less rushing of Anthony Richardson because of the concussion, and that could lean you towards Moss. But I think I'm probably still going with Anthony Richardson, um, maybe letting other – like for me, the Zach Moss makes the most sense when you have Gardner Minshew because he gets more touchdown equity. He's getting more receptions. Um, probably not going to play as much Moss when you have Anthony Richardson back. And the other side, Puka had the subdued game last year. I think this is, a, I mean, last week, I think this is a prime bounce back. Tutu's also getting, continuing to get those manufactured touches. So a lot there. Um, a lot of fun ways to play this game in my mind. I think if I'm going, this is where I really want to just kind of, hey, focus on, focus on just getting a lot of kind of combinations of this game and hope that you get it right. From the games that I am staying away from, um, okay, let's start off with Baltimore and Cleveland. Cleveland's defense has just been phenomenal. They are literally first against every fantasy position, QB, running back, wide receiver, tight ends. Like, insane to see that. I'm usually not someone who's too concerned about, like, hey, these defenses, but I do pay attention on the tails. And uh, this Cleveland looks to be elite. Uh, the difference between them and number two um, is pretty much like half the league. It is insane. So for Baltimore and Cleveland, I'm expecting this to be a slow paced, um, slower paced game. And I'm expecting there just not to be that much scoring. Um, so want to stay away from that one. Other one games that are expected to be kind of slow that I don't love Tampa Bay at New Orleans, Cincy at Tennessee. And then, I mean, we've got to at least mention it. I don't think anyone's considering doing much here, but Denver versus Chicago may be one of the ugliest games we have seen this century. Uh, so, so bad on both sides of the ball for there. And I don't, don't convince yourself that like, oh, but their defenses are so bad that maybe the offenses are able to actually put up points. Uh, no, like it's just both teams are just so bad. Don't fall into that trap. Please, please, please. There's better, better games that even aren't going to be that high owned to play. So, okay. 
That is all for today. Hopefully that is helpful for you all. Hopefully you enjoyed the best ball and I'll see you in those best ball streets. And I'm not taking down these contests. I hope it is one of you all. And uh, if you have any questions or things you want to talk about of this midseason best ball, love talking about it. Shoot me a, uh, put a, put a tweet out there and tag me in that. Happy to answer that. And for everyone else, um, enjoy tonight's game. Enjoy this weekend. Best of luck. And I will see you all next week. Later.